listening to 9to5.cc podcast. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the 9to5 Entertainment System. Just a reminder, the 9ES is supported by listeners like you. So if you want to go to patreon.com slash 9to5cc uh, to send a couple of bucks our way on a monthly basis, we would greatly appreciate it. If not, uh, then you can just tell your friends about it or uh, head to Cult Montreal and vote us as one of the best podcasts in Montreal. Uh, we continue to bring you podcasts from isolation on this episode. Uh, we talk about old TV shows that nobody really cares about. We talk about The Midnight Gospel on Netflix. We talk about a couple shows that are coming out soon on HBO. Uh, we then talk about the horror film Ready or Not. We talk a little bit about comics. Uh, I read all of Batman Hush and did not enjoy it. Uh, we also talk about Alien Covenant as a follow-up to our Prometheus talk from last episode. And we talk about Scott's favorite movie ever, Transformers the Movie. Also, I think I should point out that serendipity is defined by the Merriam-Webster Dictionary as the unexpected occurrence of or faculty of finding valuable or agreeable things that are not sought. And that is exactly what happens to John when we assign him his best movie ever for next episode. All this and more on 90S. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to an isolation podcast. Oh man! So are you guys just watching everything? Is it no. all? No, <laughs> I, I like the. I don't know how, uh, but I were. I would say that our intake of television has only in like upticked slightly because we'll watch. Uh, we usually watch an episode of something over our lunch break. But other than that, like we, you usually don't watch a ton of television in the evenings, and we're not watching a ton of TV in the evenings, as it is now. Like there's podcasting that happens. There's the D and D game that's now weekly. Uh, the one thing I've been watching pretty frequently is the AEW shows because uh, a bunch of the wrestling fans and comedians kind of uh, do like watch parties together on Wednesdays. But that's not really like meat for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we usually try to do like uh, like some kind of socializing with, uh, with someone or, so- or other over the weekend or we kind of this past weekend was our fourth anniversary so we didn't really watch a lot of TV we just like listened to music and, and spent real quality time reviewing the last years of our lives mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah yeah I was like I'm not saying I have not watched anything but uh, and when everybody's like like Walter and, uh, and Vendito are they're marathoning through um What's that show? The Sopranos, like they're rewatching The Sopranos, and I'm they're already like somewhere towards the end of season four, and I was like, I just finished one season of Succession, you know, like mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not hitting like critical mass of media consumption, which I feel it's nice to know that I can fill my life with other things, even in like this sort of situation, and not just be like, well, I watch ten hours of TV now. So, yeah, this know. hasn't changed anything for me. Right? Mm-hmm. But you watch a lot of things. Yeah, but I don't like I don't. So little of my attention actually goes on it. Like I I I, I mentioned last podcast that I watched all of The Office like two or three times. Like mm-hmm. it was on a screen that I was sitting in front of. But did it yeah. get more than twenty percent of my brain? I doubt it. You know. Mm-hmm. I've never watched The Office. No. I never watched Parks and Rec. I watched the the original the the, the British series, but I never never did the American one. Yeah. Never, watch, never watch Parks and Rec. Never you know, a, a lot of the time you turn it off because it's terrible. 
But at the same time, <laughs> you it's know. like there's a comforting kind of terrible, a little bit like going to a job with shitty coworkers and just you're kind of pissed off at them at the same time as you kind of love them. Yeah, I like I did all of uh, How I Met Your Mother and I was kind of after that wow. I was like never again. And like like it was like I watched like two or three seasons of How I Met Your Mother, like the, the latter two or three seasons where I was like, this show is not good anymore. It's all just like telegraph jokes and all that stuff, but I'm now like kind of invested in how I met your mother, like as the the reveal. <laughs> was it not worth it? Uh, it had a pretty dumb ending, I gotta say, because it yeah. was like the story is. So I guess spoilers to how I met your mother. Does anyone care, Scott? Uh, that could be a you and Pac-Man show, man. I don't know. She she watched all of it. I watched almost none. Jaime hmm. finished it all and was like, "Yeah, don't bother." Yeah, there's parts of it like there, there there are like moments of very good comedy. Like there's, I mean, like we still reference slap bet all the time, where it's like someone makes a bet with another character, uh, and if they lose the bet, the the winner gets to slap the other character like five times in the face. But that payoff occurs over like four or five seasons, <laughs> like because it's like the the diff, like the five slaps play out such like like. Out of, sometimes out of nowhere, sometimes there's an entire episode like planned around the orchestration of a slap and stuff. Like that stuff's great. Okay, uh, it's just it's fun, you know. Like you're like, yay! Sure, 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 there's sure. a lot of like a lot of continuity gags and stuff that are that are kind of fun. But yeah, but ultimately they they, I, the ending is just unsatisfying and stupid. They're like, so they so the spoilers for the final season is he finally meets uh, the kids because the whole thing is framed as though uh, Bill Ted Mosby is. Um, telling his parents how he met their mom and then gets to that point and then it's revealed that the uh, mother dies of cancer I think something like that and then the kids are like well but this whole story like involved was actually about your love for Aunt Robin who Robin's one of the other characters and then at the end of it, they're like, it's sort of revealed that he's actually kind of asking the kids permission to finally ask her out after the entire events of the show. Okay. And they're like, okay, but it kind of sucks because they already had kind of given Robin a happily ever after with another character, Barney. So it involved like kind of screwing over another character. And I'm like, what is this happening? This is like a sitcom. Like, huh. it's just like, you're like, why is this part of your finale? And then you're like, it's done. And they they end up together. Remember? Hey, and you're like, I wasn't rooting for that couple at all. Like, I wasn't shipping them. Interesting. Because like, they were happily married. And then they're like, oh, no, the marriage doesn't work. Anyway, forget that show. This makes and me feel gone. better about watching so much Arrow. I Hang on. Nothing I, should make you feel good about watching Arrow. I mean, don't do that. Don't, don't forgive yourself. As, yeah. as, much as, as much as you guys can rag on me for that. And we, and, and we will. And you should. Yeah. But, like... <laughs> I, I, I didn't dive deep into How I Met Your Mother, and I jumped off Lost ha- halfway through the first season. So that was a good move. You know, that was that was that was, that was thinking uh, with your noggin. Just just so we're all clear on this, How I Met Your Mother ran for nine seasons. That is so much How I Met Your Mother. That is a lot of How I Met Your Mother. And how does it show how long the freaking show is? Okay, I watched something new. That Hold on. I, ha- Hold I have on. been greatly enjoying. 208 episodes at 22 minutes. Arrow is at 170 episodes at 44 minutes and, like, is still going. So you've met, watched quite a bit more Arrow than I watched How I Met Your Mother's um, Son. I'm, I'm not up to date on Arrow. I'm halfway through season six. 
Oh, only. Yeah. <laughs> Again, still, every one episode of Arrow is two episodes of How I Met Your Mother. Sure. So you... Yeah, I'm just saying. It happens to everyone. You, you get onto a show, you know it's not great. You're just yeah, like, then you got it into an entire universe based around that show. You watch multiple shows that aren't great because of that one show that isn't. Nah, great. The other stuff is fine. Arrow is is really the the anchor. <laughs> Flash it's is called so the funny. Arrowverse. <laughs> oh jeez, Arrow is is the main dude in in this group. It's... No, but he was the first, right? Like he's the Iron Man of the series. Okay, okay. <clears throat> Yeah, Hammond, Flash, and Supergirl are the mains. It has an 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, so you're watching something not old and possibly good, John? Yeah, the Midnight Gospel. Have you guys oh, have you had that advertised at you? I haven't had it advertised at me, but I mean, I have had it like referenced to me just yeah, so people that know that it's a Pendleton Ward deal. So it's Pendleton Ward, and he's animating um, what I believe is a podcast – by this guy where he interviews people. So the it's really, really weird. Okay, think about it a little bit being like Adventure Time meets, um, uh, uh, not, yeah, Waking Life meets right. um, Rick and Morty. Okay. Right. So the Super frame, like improvised feel too, right? Yeah, like that's yeah. Thing, yeah. And and in fact, I'm not I'm not sure how they make the episodes. I kind of think that they might record a podcast with the person, and then. But the thing that's crazy is that the the most of the show is an interview between this guy who has a, a, like a, a computer that has a bunch of simulated universes, and all the simulated universes are dying because there's something wrong with the computer, and so he goes into the simulation and interviews people on the planets. Right. And then in the interview, it's always like a person from L.A. because they're always like referencing what they're doing in L.A. And it's all animated by Pendleton Ward. And what's crazy is it's like sometimes the dialogue that the people in the interview have kind of like references stuff going on in the animation. So it's not like he just animated whatever the fuck is going on he wanted to. They're kind of like but it it doesn't sound scripted at all. It really, really sounds like it's just an off the cuff interview. But like maybe there, that's like part of it. Like you know, like I'm assuming the the dialogue happens first, right? So if, if yeah. they're given like a, if the, if like whoever is given the interview is allowed like that freedom and just be like, oh man, look out for that giant whatever. Like they're just saying crap off the top of their head, and they'll just like, yeah, we'll animate that. Later. Yeah, there's no, yeah, like, they, no they might have done that. Yeah, you know, like and there's no limitation to animation, particularly with Pendleton going going right. banana. So the style of animation is like a little cruder than Adventure Time and a little more adult. And the subject matter of all of the interviews is like really heavy life and death, how you think about the world, um, drugs, a lot about psychedelics. So it's kind of like not – it's like heavy, you know? Like you watch yeah, an episode yeah. and you're like, I want to think about this and, and, and chat about it and stuff. So I, I like I get it that it's not for everybody, but I'm really enjoying it. So what's like the most like thought-provoking thing? Like, like so if we had all watched it, what was the, what would be the thing you want to talk about? And maybe we'll watch it and then we'll talk about it. In he, inter- he interviews somebody who spent a little bit of time doing 5-MeO DMT and then having sex right after. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I know what those words mean. Uh-huh. <laughs> Care to explain? That's like like that's that's like heavy level robo tripping, yeah? No, no, no. Five meo DMT um, is 
the uh, flavor of DMT that the trip lasts 15 minutes. So you have like an extremely, extremely, extremely intense psychedelic experience compressed into like a five to 10 minute experience. Okay. Yeah. DMT. Damn, DMT. Uh, might. <laughs> so, and DMT is like a molecule that makes you trip and it's a complicated molecule. So it comes in a like, lot of different flavors. It's like the standard hallucinogenic. I don't know if, if there is such a thing as standard, but if you think magic mushrooms, that is a, a DMT. And I think yeah. it's, it's uh, NM DMT. And then 5-MeO DMT is the kind that comes from uh, the Bufo toad. So mm. his venom is is the same DMT. And apparently 5-MeO DMT is a neurotransmitter used in your brain. So it's oh. part of why the trip is so quick because your body already has like the regulatory mechanisms to deal with it when it gets into you. Neat. Yeah. I'm down. Let's do it, boys. Right, anyway, one of, <laughs> anyway, one of the interviews... Okay, John, you're saying that you don't have this on you right now. <laughs> one of the, the interviews, you just the guy is like... You with us tripping on DMT that I think all of our listeners want to hear, and you didn't email us DMT. Yeah. Man, if only we could download DMT. <laughs> Downloaded some DMT from the internet. Uh, so yeah, one of the episodes is this dude, who that was his experience... Yeah. No, no. Well, he was saying that that's like a thing that he does is, is I guess, finds ladies who want to do that with him and mm-hmm. trip, trips out on DMT and then has sex right after. Mind-blowing experiences. Crazy. Yeah. So if you're wondering what Pendleton Ward was up to after the beloved children's show. Oh, Adventure oh Time. it was a lot of drugs. <laughs> I mean, after? <laughs> if, you watch, if you watch Adventure Time, there's I'm sure he did the drugs before Adventure Time. Yeah. Also, yeah. like... Uh, and a lot of drugs doesn't say more or less. Nope. Yeah, exactly. That's it. He didn't necessarily up the uh, up the content, but I mean, but I guess he hasn't really been doing Adventure Time. I think other than as a consultant for like several years, right? He had Bravest Warriors after. Didn't he that... step off in like season four? He was like burnt out and just wanted to do the storyboards. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they had him still occasionally as an artist and also as a like creative consultant or whatever. But he wasn't like he stopped show he stopped show running post Lich. Hmm. So that's like somewhere season five or whatever. So they went yeah. for a bunch more. There's new Adventure Time coming out soon, you guys. Really? New Adventure Time. I never, I never finished it. I feel like I gotta go and buy the big box set and then, and then sit down and do it because I checked out maybe the season after the Lich, not yeah. long after that. Yeah. yeah, it's it. I would say post post Lich, it takes about as like a good season to kind of find its balance again, like just because you can kind of feel the like a power vacuum, I guess, of just people like, what do we do now? But then I think that like the other, uh, the rest of the writers and showrunners kind of step up and it gets not necessarily like stronger, but it gets a lot more direction. Like there, it starts being a lot more, like not to say it wasn't before, but it starts being like a lot more serialized. Like almost every episode has a thing that will then refer back to another episode and it starts getting very, like it gets a lot bigger. Whereas like Pendleton had a lot of like throwaway episodes, like the, right. the disc, like the little disco bears and whatever. Like there was stuff. That and kind he of was working on, um, what was the Bravest other one? Warriors. Bravest Warriors during that time. I think, no, I think it went from one into the next. I think like he, he either started, like he might've done a pilot for Bravest Warriors while he was still doing Adventure Time, but then, uh, like he stopped Adventure Time and started doing Bravest Warriors. But yeah, yeah. so they're launching HBO, um, HBO Max or whatever the heck it is, where it's like it's it's another streaming service, yay! Hooray. And the I think the logic behind it is that it's going to be like HBO, 
But then I think that the downside that HBO deals with on their subscriber service is that they only have HBO stuff. There isn't a lot of like fluff of like 208 episodes of How I Met Your Mother on HBO. So a lot. Like, yeah, but the fluff that they're going to have is so good. Well, but so that's it. But so that's the, this whole HBO Max thing is it's going to be all of HBO, but then it's going to have other like fluff crap to, <laughs> to flesh it out. So you're going to like, I think it's they're trying to like land a bigger square of the market because they have the HBO market. You know, and they're like, if it's like a buck or two add-on over HBO Go, and now you get HBO Max, and you're starting to get... Can you get that in Canada right now, just HBO Go? I do not think so. Not in Canada. You have to get Crave TV, and you need to have cable. Get fucked, Bill. Yep. I know that that they were in talks of trying to make it as in, like, that you could get it through Amazon, but then I think you would need a Prime subscription. But that would still be... I mean, other than giving your money to Amazon, because like there's a bunch of different. Jeff has enough. Yeah, exactly. There's like a bunch of different services that are now doing that, like uh, like our beloved Shutter. Uh, <laughs> like Shutter, you can now get as we get it as its standalone uh, like app, but you can also for like five bucks have it as an Amazon Prime add-on. Hmm. Right. So it's like when you log into Amazon Prime, you have like other services pointing like stack, into it, like Stack TV and yeah. Hey You and. Uh, Nick, Nick TV. Yep, and the super channels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a bunch of stuff. But I find it's, it's a, I, kind of like that as a model. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, a, it's a shame Amazon is the one kind of pulling it off because I was like, there's a certain point where I'm like, well, like, why do you have ten different things? Like, just you thinking of it as more like a cable package, and you just sort of like pay five bucks a month for Shutter, and then you unsubscribe the next month. Like, you want horror movies for October, November? Add five bucks. Take off yep. five bucks. Yep. And you're not necessarily messing around with, like, a thousand apps and add-ons and whatever else. And Well, and that. so what, it, what does that functionally become? It becomes, like, a cable subscription that's pay-as-you-go for, yeah. th- for every channel that you want, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's it, which I'm yeah. way more on board with. Than... Speaking of HBO, did you guys see the trailer for Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country? I do. No. I saw the trailer it? for Betty, and I haven't watched the first episode of Betty, and I'm excited about that. So you do your thing, then I'll talk about my thing. Lovecraft well, Country. Lovecraft Country. Country is a new series Where? coming out on HBO that looks good. Uh, it's everyone is if... related to HP Lovecraft. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jordan Peele is one of the executive producers, and so is J.J. Abrams, which is kind of a weird mix. It's yeah, uh, Peele kind of messed up, or not messed up, but like he missed the target on uh, Twilight Zone. Like Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone. I was, didn't see any of it, but I heard it was a goddamn train wreck. Well, I wouldn't say train wreck. It just wasn't like it didn't like, work. Like, like like Jordan Peele plus Twilight Zone. Like post uh, us and post uh, everybody thought it was going to go out of the park. Yeah, and you're like, no. So I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'll give him another chance. He made us and Quiet Place, not Quiet Place. Why did I blank on this? The they go to the sunken place and they are in the film. (laughs) Come on now, no, us was the one that followed up. I'm, I'm not googling this. It's, so I mean, <laughs> it's on the list, and it's really high on the list, dude. Was it something okay. about just say no? Get or, out! Get, get out! Jesus. Get out! Get out! Get out! Yes. Oh, there we go. Just say no. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude. Just say no is the uh, the Asylum Films remake. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the super crappy low budget remake. Let me just say so you no. Know. Let me read you the tagline for this, guys. I'm ready. Uh, Lovecraft Country follows Atticus Black as he joins up with his friend Letitia and his uncle George to embark on a road trip across 1950s Jim Crow America in search of his missing father. This begins a struggle to survive and overcome both the racist terrors of white America and the terrifying monsters that could be ripped from a Lovecraft paperback. Huh. It looks killer good. The trailer, like, starts off like this really kind of road trip American drama dealing with, with, with super racist dudes. And then as they're being you know, chased and threatened with a lynching, all these insane Lovecraft monsters come out of the woods and murder everyone. And I'm like, I'm 100% on board. Can't wait for this series. I'm down. It's a series? Yeah. That's fun. It's going to make it extra good. It's Yeah, like, exactly. Like, I, like uh, you guys still, neither of you went, or Scott, you didn't finish on Watchmen, and John, I don't think, ever went into Watchmen. Nope. Yep, no. Watchmen's really one of my, like, standout TV shows in the last Amazon? Uh, no, HBO. HBO. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, yeah. So, I yeah, tried no, it. I, I didn't care for it. It gets so good. It, like, I mean, if I, I, I don't even know if I can necessarily, like, tell you to go back because, like, it hooked me and I was into it. So, if, like, it didn't hook you, I don't know if, like, your mileage may vary or whatever. But I just, I thought it was great television making and, and didn't shy away from the fact that it was, like, a comic book thing and didn't shy away from the fact that there was, like, weird, going to be weird stuff that came out of the comics and stuff. It was, uh, it was really fun. Anyway, yeah, no, Betty, uh, Betty's a series that started up on Friday. Um, it's an American teen comedy series, uh, which is focuses on a group of teenage girls who skateboard in New York. Yay! <laughs> combines combines my love of skateboarding and teen girl like dramedies. Uh huh. Since apparently they postponed the filming of Euphoria season two, I need to get my teen girl dramedies somewhere else. Uh, it's actually based on a uh, a film called Skate Kitchen. With a, and apparently the show has the has the same actresses and is kind of like a spinoff of the film. And the film was really, really fun. It's kind of like that lo-fi, uh, almost like mumblecore cinema, but just with like girls kind of like skateboarding and stuff. Is it like kids? Like light. Like it's very much like kids light. Like they okay. definitely, like, like there's... There's drugs and violence and relationship woes and whatever, but like they don't necessarily smash in and then do a date rape. Like that's not right. doesn't quite quite get into that territory. But it, it has like it's very similar aesthetic though. Like it's like like just kind of kids like just sort of going around shooting the shit and just sort of getting into like teen stuff that is done sort of like realistic and like gritty, but not necessarily uh like kids because kids is kids is kind of next level sure is <laughs> uh, <clears throat> what else have everybody been watching what have you been up to hmm. ready or not i watched ready or not and it yeah. was amazing good i really i really really wanted to watch it um but we messed up the timing we were going to watch it with andrew and alex and then we thought that it was out on video because it had been like out of theaters for like three or four months and it was not yet out on video so Wait, what is ready or not Ready or not, horror movie. Yeah, 
uh, a woman like, marries I, into a or rich comedy family. though, like like the the well, trailer it's, even it's had a black laughs. comedy. Yeah, it's yeah. a black comedy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a woman marries into a rich family. Uh, they're eccentric. They live in a giant mansion, and anytime someone joins in the family, they have to play a game that night at midnight. She draws a card. It says they have to play hide and seek, and then that's the card that means that the family has to kill her in order to survive. It is part of a deal their family made with the devil. And uh, if they don't kill her by dawn, uh, the devil will come back and take his revenge on the family for failing. That sounds great. It's so good. (laughs) It's, it's darkly funny. It's, it's splatter housey, a little bit of torture porn, but not so much that I couldn't watch it. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I heard the main, the main character uh, who's played by um, Samara Weaving mm-hmm. just has tonally perfect dialogue. Like, so when this movie came out, and last uh, year, I, I took this with a grain of salt, but like, I read a review of it that like compared it favorably to uh, Cabin in the Woods. Like, yeah, and I was, yeah. is there higher praise for a horror? Yeah, movie? exactly. And and that was how it like immediately got on my radar. I was like, even if it's like sniffing cabin in the woods territory of like self-referential black comedy like knowing not necessarily as meta but in terms of like the tone and stuff like yeah it's not as meta and it's not as as like well it's not a paint a portrait of all of horror films (laughs) yeah it like cabin in the woods does that thing that like i really liked in the avengers movies where things kind of just were so tidy and and fanboy that it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, this doesn't do that. This kind of is more like um, like a Knives Out if it was a horror splatterhouse movie. Right. Hmm. And that's fine. That's cool. Yeah, but so uh, I like it. But in terms of like tone and like the dark comedy and all that it's, stuff, that's... yeah, that's that's what it, what it's like. Just the the kind of characters being like, no, don't do that. That's stupid. <laughs> and, and like the dumb things they do are like because of the stress of the situation, mm-hmm. not because the characters have been scripted to do that. Yeah. Um, Although they of course have, I mean, they have, but it doesn't, it feels like it organic that right, right, their, right, right. their reactions is more organic to the situation mm-hmm. rather than. Like, Forced. Why did you run upstairs? Because the monster's upstairs and that's where she has to go. Yeah, like, like the character who is, is, has the PhD or whatever else is just a moron. The second someone shows up with a knife and stuff, right. like, like what usually yeah. happens in horror movies. So it's great. I, I can't recommend it enough. And I'm very surprised that I saw it before you two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got, I got, like I said, I, I literally just missed the timing on it. <laughs> like it, it was, I had the intention to see it in theaters. It was out of theaters. We waited a couple months it and it was it was yeah it had a really weird um it, it was in theaters like over the summer and then was a not in theaters and b not out on dvd around halloween which i feel that like hey hollywood get your shit together like if you have a horror movie period it should be in one of those two like time slots it should either be available on dvd or download or in theaters on Halloween. Like, if you didn't, I'm like, you just cut your market for the year. You know? Like, it's... it kind that's of blows- That's tricky, though, because then, you know, like, how many horror movies can you really... Can the market really take all at the same time? Well, like, I'm not necessarily saying it needs to be, like, in an October release. 
right? But it's just there's what there's only those like what three months usually in between the time a film is like in theaters and on Halloween, like. Yeah, but every horror movie can't come out at Halloween. I'm yeah. not. Say, I, I, I'm not saying that they all need to be coming out in theaters on Halloween. I'm saying that your film, if your film came out in 2019, if you can't get the Halloween release, you should at least be out on DVD by Halloween, like right. 2019. Do you know what I mean? Like, like that. That's what I'm saying. Is I understand you can't just put every horror movie out, and horror movies are going to come out the whole entire year. It's that if you're in that, like, if you've made a horror film, you should be sure that it's like available to people in one form or another yes. around yeah. Halloween. Like, and it was like, yeah, it was like, this film was not available. It was out of theaters and then subsequently not on digital release, September, October, November kind of deal. And I'm like, that's a mistake. Like, you know, like you just, you get released on DVD in December when everybody wants to watch like Christmas movies and stuff. I'm like, it it just seems like I was like, this isn't impossible to plan, like releasing studios and stuff. Like you can put it one or the other. It premiered at Fantasia last year. Yeah. That was his big, big opening. Yeah. It made fifty-seven million on a six million budget. And, nice. Uh, it was directed by Matt Bettinelli, who's the same guy who did VHS. The, the, the VHS. compilation. Oh yeah, the. Uh, well, I mean, so one of the directors of VHS, then. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, like VHS has like twenty directors. Those were fun. This this movie was fun. It looked good. Um, it, like the the cinematography was good. The 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 sets were all really good. Like I said, it had that knives out kind of feel because it was all took place in this big old mansion mm-hmm. and it didn't look like a cheap set dressing. Like it looked like people live there and were rich and uh, eccentric. Oh, do you want to, you know, do you want to list it? I want you guys to watch it. Okay. I, I want to put it off, but uh, I recommend it. Both Riss and I really had a good time watching it. So awesome. Like it's 88% on rotten tomatoes right now. Yeah. You could tell, listener, that this is the isolation branch of the podcast because we're all in front of computers, so we all have these like, oh yeah, this guy directed it, and this is the rate, <laughs> this is the rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and this and that. But then, when it came time to remember the title for Get Out, I was like, no, <laughs> I'm but, not going to use the computer. When you, yeah, when you don't remember it, then you like you're incentivized. Okay, now I got to force myself to remember it. Exactly. That's, that's that's man. We talk about that all the time up at the up at the the heister shack uh like we're just sort of like in the in the absence of internet like pat and i love the fact that you're just sort of like you can just go down like the holes where you're like i'm just remembering this as best as i can and no one can look it up and you can like be talking for like an hour and you're like i don't know if any of this is right and i have (laughs) no way to know like i'm in a place with no phone no phone service or no internet and this is sarah's like it's the worst (laughs) you guys are even more incorrigible when you like can't be like denied or proven wrong or right like um i guess yeah we talked a bunch about movies i do want to talk about a movie that i watched but i also i guess want to talk about a comic book just to mix things up i finished hush and and i do not get the hype at all on batman hush (laughs) john have you read hush i have not um yeah so you but like not to say you know you definitely at least have heard of most of the people involved like you've heard of Jim Lee, okay, right? Yes, yeah, Jim Lee, the the artist. Um, yeah. So this is like early what like what two thousand one two thousand two Scott? A little bit later than that, two thousand six I think. No, it's earlier than you think. It's in because I, I looked this up. It's in between. Um, 
Paris. It's in between um, when in Rome and Long Halloween. It was it was earlier than I thought. Long Halloween, that one I read. Yeah, exactly. So that's and that's the other piece of the puzzle is that it's Jim Lee is the artist and Jeff Loeb. Yeah, so around two thousand October two thousand two to September two thousand three, and Jeff Loeb is the artist of uh, I mean the writer, writer the writer of Batman Hush. So like coming from the author of Long Halloween was kind of, I was like, and it was sort of like sandwiched in between uh, Catwoman when in Rome, which I also own. Like, I don't own a ton of comics, but I, I both own Long Halloween and I own uh, when in Rome. Which you, is, you, you were called. bitching about this in the, in the thread. Sure this was. is no it's, good. Ah, it's dumb. What, what Scott is holding up. Hush one and two. Original oh. hush. Maybe I did read it. You may have uh, passed it on to me. Anyway, so, yeah. So basically, so the, I would say like the main problem of Hush is that the mystery is, is stupid. <laughs> not only is the mystery stupid, there is no mystery. Like I will give you every single issue of Hush is Batman being like someone's making my villains act different, strange, throwing me off of my own pattern, and then um, a villain shows up and that happens. So. <laughs> Like every episode, it's someone new. Like, like the first issue, it's Killer Croc being different, and the second issue, it's like Poison Ivy being different. Being different, and like not really. Like Killer Croc is still just like a big dude punching stuff, but he's like, oh, that's not like Croc. And I'm like, isn't it though? <laughs> like, you're just sort of like Poison Ivy's like, haha, I'm using pheromones from plants to manipulate people's minds, and he's like, how peculiar. And you're like. Again, is it? That's a thing that happened in the terrible movie. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, and then it also kind of like creates what I feel is like a uh, such a like not a cardinal sin, but such a like a cheap comic book thing where you're just sort of like, oh, I need to get in touch with my old childhood friend who's never been spoken about before in the comics. He's totally not going to be the bad guy ten issues from now. Do you remember Birds of Prey, the TV series? I remember it in, uh, like it existed. <laughs> I did not watch it because I'm not a fan of the like Arrowverse. Thunderbirds? <laughs> uh, um, Birds of Prey. Batgirl. Is it Arrowverse? And... No. No. Oh, this is like 99, 2000? Oh. 2001? Okay. Terrible TV series. Because mm-hmm. it's always, I'm a new person in town and I'm friends with uh, Commissioner Gordon. Nice to see you, Barbara. Oh, there's also a new murderer in town. And it was 13 episodes of that. Yeah, new person shows up on the show. Turns out to be the villain. Gets defeated. Next episode. Yeah, and it's exactly that for Hush. It's so. It's dumber than that though, because like also every episode, episode if every issue, is just like characters just showing up for the sake of showing up. Like Superman shows up. Superman shows up, and Poison Ivy just manipulates his brain or whatever because he can't like hold his breath. Or, you know, expunge the poison from his super body and all that stuff. So he just, you know, there's a Batman Superman punch fight, which is kind of fun that goes down with like, and he pops out the kryptonite ring. That's all cool. But then you're like, but this is stupid. And how did Poison Ivy possibly manipulate Superman? Superman knows Poison Ivy exists and could just stop breathing around her. (laughs) You know, like he's not. And if Poison Ivy always could manipulate Superman. Why is she not doing it always? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that should be her go-to every single day. She should just try to manipulate Superman and then have like the son of Krypton just smashing and doing everything she wants. Like Joker shows up and it's stupid. It also rehabilitates Harvey Dent because he gets 
a brain surgery. So yeah, the guy that uh, the, the character that gets introduced is Tommy something, uh, and so the plot of <laughs> of Hush is um, that Batman's electrician screwed with the computer in the Batcave. And Wait, the, yeah, Bruce the, isn't, yes. isn't Batman Wayne okay, but hires electricians computers. to fix up the Batcave? Yes. Our friend Ronan should really look into getting hired <laughs> by Batman. So it's a Quasimodo-like character? Is this guy canon? Yeah, so he was a character that appeared like in the in the eighties. Okay. Um and was basically just like a one off um sad sack character that right. everyone had kind of forgotten about. So So he, he shows up he shows up in issue like twelve of this storyline to promptly gosh. get murdered. <laughs> But then it's but then it's revealed that he uh, programmed like so because he was deformed and this guy uh, this Tommy guy is the greatest surgeon ever. Uh, the guy was like, "I will fix your body and fix your voice if you do this favor for me." So this guy puts implants into the bat computer, subliminal. And remember, this is the plan. This is the guy's plan. Puts subliminal messages into the bat computer so to make Bruce Wayne think about him more. Then he orchestrates Bruce Wayne getting almost killed through like a killer croc attack, severing a batarang right over Crime Alley uh, into get him all kicked his ass. And then apparently also orchestrates that the Huntress will put him into the car. And then Bruce Wayne taps out in Morse code to call his friend the surgeon that we've never heard of because he's, you know, been subliminally instructed to uh, by the freaking computer. And then also somehow again, involving Joker and Poison Ivy and Catwoman and Superman. And also at some, for some reason, there's a Catwoman love story that is kind of just going on. And he's like, mom, he's going to reveal myself to Catwoman. We're in love now. And I trust her. And then he's like, and then he's like, it was my friend. And there's like so many, so many dumb garbage reveals. You're like, Oh crap. Jason Todd is back. Oh no, it's Clayface. And then you're like, okay, cool. I guess. Thanks for just jerking me around comic like it's every episode is like a big stupid like villain of the week but then with and then the tie-in is this master plan which is the dumbest stupidest plan in the world and it's 300 pages long and i wanted to stop reading it (laughs) uh but yeah somehow it has made its way into the pantheon of uh like best ever um batman comics i guess because of the 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 tour. I was gonna say maybe so gallery, much happens. I suppose. Yeah. But like, yeah. And it, but it, it's. So it's IGN. Looking... I... Go ahead. Sorry, Scott. IGN has it on the top twenty-five Batman comics and graphic novels of all time, and that's yeah. But that's a list from like two thousand five, though. I <laughs> like. Yeah, sure. So recency <laughs> bias, but I can't think of a whole lot of new stuff that would really push that around. It uh, or mean... should. Kind of almost everything out of the Scott Snyder run so far, honestly. Like, you I mean, put... yes, but I mean, not not the top twenty five actual Batman stories. Yeah, but I mean, but it could push Hush out easy. Yeah, like 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 literally, uh, like the death uh, death of the family. But I mean, right? Court of Owls the Scott is on, Snyder run. Court of Owls is on this list. Yeah, it's at number eighteen. Right. 
But yeah, I would like almost any any like six issue arc out of the Scott Snyder series so far is better than Hush. Like you could put like I don't think there's it's it's not garbage, but it's not far off. It's held together like the the Jim Lee art is amazing, and uh, Jim Lee does he does all of it right. Like he even does all the other yeah. style stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's like other like like flashbacks happen in like cool like black and white photography, completely different style that you've normally seen. Like like the art is art is very very good. Like it's either the exact peak art of 2002 or like more interesting art styles depending on what's going on in the story. So. I can give it like hats off for art, but I, I just like, and I mean, I, I would say for shame Jeff Lowe, but this is also the man that brought us Red Hulk, so we can't we can't say he's nothing but a like logic machine. But coming least, off of at least Red Hulk knew what it was. Yeah, it, it, honestly, so that's the thing, right? Is that it's it's like more Jeff Lowe Red Hulk, less Jeff Lowe Long Halloween, like yeah, like which is not a thing that you want in your Batman. It's trying to be one and ends up as the other. Yeah, exactly. That's it. It's like as the follow up to like Long Halloween was only like what three or four years earlier. Like it wasn't like it wasn't like Frank Miller jumping ship like way later. When did he do the Long Halloween? That's it is actually way later. I think Long Halloween is. It's not again older than you think it is. Batman. The Long Halloween. So he started this in September 2002. Uh, and Batman The Long Halloween was 96-97. So yeah. five years later. What, no. So like it's... Oh, yeah. yeah. Still. Yeah. That, but I'm like... I, that, that's not like I'm old and crazy now. <laughs> like, well, for Jeff Loeb it was. What happened? I remember what happened in, in those few years. He started working. He started working in TV. Hmm. But then he, but then he recovered when he like when in Rome is good. <laughs> Maybe Tim Sale just keeps him in check. Mm. Yes, and that's the only thing that I can kind of think about because even oh yeah, Dark Victory was also before uh, Hush, but like Dark yeah. Victory was pretty good. Yep. And would also, if it's not on that list, should beat Hush. <laughs> so, so Court of Owls is at eighteen on this list. Yeah. Um, Fifteen is Nightfall. Bane breaks Batman's back. Mm-hmm. That's that's still a fun fun comic. Yeah. Uh, number thirteen is Tower of Babel, the JLA story where uh, someone steals awesome. all of Batman's contingency yeah. plans for the JLA, kicks their ass. Oh out. yeah, 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 that's fun. Number twelve is Gotham by Gaslight, which is a little bit weird, but is drawn by Mike Mignola and looks amazing. It's one where Batman fights Jack the Ripper. Yeah, I was gonna say I was like that that one I remember. A little bit style over substance, and, and, and doesn't date as bad in the same way that like Hush does. Because even like most of Hush is still 2002 Jim Lee, which looks very 2002 Jim Lee. <laughs> like it's yeah. it looks good, but you're like it's very it's just like a couple steps away from uh, X Men yeah, well, and what's his freaking Pockets McGee there, your favorite artist, Liefeld. Yeah, exactly. Which is just like. Certain, like, I, there's a point where like Bruce Wayne uh, is staring down Clark Kent, and you're like, they were the same person. It's the same face and chiseled line, and you're like, mm-hmm. almost like mirror images. And you're like, you can draw these two people differently. Jim Lee's like, no, this is what men look like. Yeah. So Batman Hush ranks 11 above all of the stories that I just listed. Jeez. Yeah, I feel like that's a promotional consideration paid for by DC Comics and our comic that came out a couple years ago that we really, really, really want to push because we put two like 
golden boys of comic on one 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 story. Yeah, and then the list falls into line. Like number one is Dark Knight Returns. Number two mm-hmm. is Year One. Number three is The Killing Joke. Number four is Long Halloween. Number five is Arkham Asylum. Like mm-hmm. yeah, the, un- the Untouchables. Yeah, like do I? Like I think like three out of the five I own in trades, and I'm not. I don't have the biggest comic collection. <laughs> like, and also none of these are from from anything before the eighties. Like I'm I'm looking for the oldest one. Yeah, I mean, like uh, that's Here. probably Dark Knight Returns, right? Or uh, a Lonely Place of Dying. Hmm. That's uh, basically year two. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's so like, no, none of the '70s stuff, none of the '60s stuff. Well, but know, I mean, like scratch. At, at least for me, as a part-time uh, comic book fan, that stuff is like historically important. But like, I wouldn't put it in my best of anywhere. Oh, like some of that Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams stuff is really good from the '70s. The early mm-hmm. Rachel Gould. But like, like beating beating some of. That other stuff, like like beating the Frank Miller stuff, beating the uh, Alan Moore stuff, like well, like beating Batman, uh, you're going like beating Batman Flashpoint, yeah, like beating Batman Venom, where Hush. Batman gets addicted, <laughs> beating Hush, uh, yeah. Some of this stuff on this list is like gothic. Gothic shouldn't yeah. be there. Yeah. So the other thing. I really wanted to talk about it just because it follows up from something we were talking about the last episode. Is I watched hey. Alien Covenant, you guys. I want to talk about Alien some more. And I liked it, and I thought it was fine, and it was good. I liked Prometheus more. God, even that is wrong. <laughs> I don't know. You and Sarah, Sarah and I were like, okay, this is fine. And I like Alien Covenant. I liked the reveal. that I mean, it made the fact that it was, so again, spoilers to Alien Covenant, I like the fact that it was the weird robot that was made that, yeah, yeah, that Peter Whalen made in his own image that wanted to become a, that does, he makes the aliens, God, and ultimately he makes the aliens. And like, and on top of that too, that he engineers them out of this thing because like the, the neomorphs, which were the engineers aliens, like just were the weird sporadic clicks. So this is what I gathered from watching the two films is the dumb black ooze is just like, it's. I think it's supposed to make Neomorphs, but it doesn't always work and has like a pretty high kill rate. Like when they dropped all the tanks, sometimes they just died and then I guess sometimes they become aliens and it's just kind of garbage. And he was like, there's potential here. And then he, A, doesn't like the fact that it needs, uh, I guess, like what? Host. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, um, a, or a, a pathogen, I suppose. Like, it needs something to start, whereas he created uh, like an entire like organism set, right? Like which is face hugger, chest buster. Mm-hmm. Then it makes a queen. It makes more face huggers, and it keeps going. So it manufactures its own like black stuff, where because like the neomorphs don't seem to have any like procreation, right? So he engineers in a procreation cycle and like kind of like a self-contained procreation cycle that it sure. can make sure. more eggs, make more face huggers, make more aliens. So he like improved upon it and then unleashed the whole thing. And I was like, all of this is fine and I don't hate it. <laughs> like, There's definitely more drama and action in Covenant than there was. It, in also, it also, holy crap, does it like, 
in much in the same way that like aliens answers alien like we're like oh crap there's aliens killing people in like the first 15 minutes you're like which at the same time mm-hmm. robs a lot of the character development <laughs> you're like who which of these characters do i get oh the murdering is starting like and it happens like very quickly that they're like knocking off loved ones of crew members <laughs> like which i appreciate as a as a horror fan uh but I think that was, to me, that was a thing that I found to its detriment is that none of the characters had characters. <laughs> like, and, and too many of them act stupid. Uh, yeah, they make a lot of dumb decisions. But that's, what is this? Yeah, I'm walking downstairs. It's so creepy. I'm terrified. I have my gun out. I'm going to keep walking into the basement full of <laughs> slimy egg things to meet the murder robot. Well, but I think you don't know he's a murder ro- robot. He just, he saved you. Like, that was like, <laughs> you know, an hour ago. <laughs> the one thing that I will say that bugs me is, uh, as a, as I guess like an alien purist type, is the incubation time on the alien is very quick. Like, full xenomorph from facehugger to full xenomorph in like an evening. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's a very quick... You know what I mean? As I'm like, I, it's I at least get the impression. Like I think the the only time we see the whole thing play out uh, previously is probably the original Alien, right? Where we see like it's like face hugger. Felt like days. Then he's okay for a I while. I mean, there, there's like a lot of cuts, right? you know, so you don't really know. But like, that, yeah. yeah, exactly. But like it, it felt like like he comes back and he's okay. <laughs> then he gets sick. Oh no. Facehugger, then the facehugger comes off, it falls off, and then he's okay for a while. So then he's like fine for a little while, then chestbuster. Like this was like facehugger, chestbuster within the span of like twenty minutes, it seemed. Yeah. And then by like later in the evening, it was like a full xenomorph. And I was like, I always, my always in my mind, there was like facebuster. Several hours later, if not a day or two later, chestbuster, and then maybe like another day or two later, xenomorph. Like that yeah, was that was fast. my headcanon was that like a full grown xenomorph took took like a couple days to be a full on killing machine. But yeah, but I like I said I like that they it ties it all into Wayland. Uh, it makes Wayland's craziness like in, that he obviously when he designed the robot thinking like himself that he really wanted to become a creator. I think it is a cool tie in that the thing that he created ended up creating the thing that can like obliterate humans. It's neat. I thought it was fine. I thought it was cool. Uh, killing off uh, Numi Rapace's character in pencil sketches. Oh no, you see her body with her chest busted all open. <laughs> well, whatever. It was, I mean, it was, it was the, the flaw for... of Alien 3. What was the flaw? The one flaw of Alien 3? <laughs> well, like, they killed uh, Hicks and Newt off off camera yeah. and just like threw them off a cliff and you're like oh okay i guess they're dead now yeah i mean to be fair there also this film was like uh there was promotional material in the film uh that included james franco <laughs> where he does not have a speaking role in the film other than his uh his wife watching a video of him mountain climbing but there was like they had footage in some of the trailers and stuff of like him on the ship doing stuff Whereas he is not in the movie, which I thought was just like, that's just fun marketing. <laughs> Where you're like, oh, James Franco's going to be in it. No, he's not. He's not in this film. He dies in, like, his entire body catches on fire in, uh, like, one of those little sleeping chambers. And then yeah. he's just gone. 
But yeah, and I thought that it uh, it played to the mythos. It explains a bunch of crap. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why people hate it so much. You know, I, I feel know like I hated it, um, and I kind of don't remember exactly why. Just I just remember it being miserable and not all coming together. So I'm going to rewatch it, and I'll I'll get back to you on that. So if you if you want to rewatch both, yeah, uh, I was I don't know if I've talked about this on the on air. Um, <clears throat> I would try to find whatever mm-hmm. the big cut is of Prometheus, because <laughs> uh, I want like the two hour and twenty one or whatever. If you want to rewatch both, because there was stuff in there. And then when I found out what was cut, um, I was like, oh, or not cut, but like added. So there's like uh, Peter Whelan doing a TED talk at Wimbledon, and it's like a ten <laughs> fifteen minute thing at the beginning which is him explaining his like and it's like it takes place in like 20 like 2040 or something like so like before anything happens when he's like a young man kind of doing that and it like it informs and like speaks to basically what is important to the character the driving motivation of the character and everything in such a way that it like tints the rest of the film as to why he's doing all of this in a way that when I realized that that was not in the theatrical cut, I was like, he was just, then a how weird do you do like, then he's just a weird old dude. I know, <laughs> but I was and like, makeup. they filmed like a 15 minute, maybe not 15. Yeah. The makeup is atrocious, but yeah, 15 minute might be an exaggeration, but at least like seven or eight minutes of him, like literally giving a Ted talk about like how we as humanity can ascend into Godhood. And that it's like, laws and bureaucrats who that are like holding us back from creativity that prevents us from doing this and whatever else like that and i was like oh cool and that informs the film you know what i mean without that yeah he's just a weird old dude (laughs) i was like why is that not in the film uh but yeah no alien covenant i thought was uh was fun not like again nothing neither of these films sniff alien or aliens uh I, i would take I would take both of them over Alien Resurrection. Yes. And I would probably, like, again, I haven't seen the assembly cut of Alien 3, but I would probably take both of them over Alien 3. Nope. And then I would take Prometheus over uh, over Covenant. Man, so, 100% wrong there. I really God. like Alien movies. <laughs> I, I really like Alien movies too, but... Those ones barely qualify. I mean, I think the only one that really kind of doesn't qualify is Alien Resurrection. That's such a it's a pile of horse shit. That that's right. a terrible movie, but even Prometheus isn't. Resurrection so has some moments that are good too. Doesn't. <clears throat> there's there's some good there's some good action and far between. <laughs> I had the box. Yeah, think about I had the, the underwater scene of the, of the four films badass. on VHS. Whatever. Um, like, well, I, again, like I. I, I get it. I the basketball scene was so miserable. Out. You, it like makes the everything else terrible. No, yeah, the sex scene. The sex scene is the worst. When she falls back just after the water scene to get captured by the aliens, knowing that they're not going to kill her, mm-hmm. and just writhes in passion as they realize she's the queen. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. So dumb. And I did want to. She gives um, birth to the baby. Not an alien movie, but since I'm on a on an alien kick, um, apparently, uh, underwater is like 
a better alien movie than any of the sequels Underwater. since like two. <laughs> Underwater, yeah, it's a 2020 film. It came out this year. It has uh, <laughs> uh, Kristen Stewart in it, and apparently, it's like small, uh, like small cast. And I don't necessarily like, and it's like just like a creature attacking in an underwater base, like, but hits all the like exact notes of interesting Alien, <laughs> like the first one. Yeah, I heard like heard super good things about it when uh, when I was talking. Uh, to I forget who I was talking to when I was like, oh yeah, I'm uh, kind of on this aliens kick. Yeah. They, were, they were like, holy crap, watch Underwater. It like it's the best alien movie to come out since Aliens. <laughs> like even though it's cool. not an alien film. Mm-hmm. It's got Vince Castell in it, and I like him. Mm-hmm. And um, T.J. Miller. <laughs> T.J. Miller. He's also in Gravity Falls. Also, I love like the, the the research station is called like uh, um, just like reading the the synopsis here. It's called like Kepler like Kepler eight two two, which I find is such a like like alien nomenclature. Like it's always just like blah, like then a number, like everything. Yeah. You know, like it's uh, I know it's kind of standard space stuff, but it's just like yeah, it's like the ocean floor of Roebuck six four one, and the drilling and research facility is Kepler eight two two. Like it's just like such like it's just like dry business stuff. Anyway, I'm, I'll, I'll check that out for sure. Keith, you gotta uh, watch the two oh. AVP movies now. If you're gonna do them all. Do I, though? I mean, I've seen one of them. You gotta... <laughs> but I don't like... <sighs> so, here's the problem. I have a good app. So, a pretty big yeah. issue now is they nope. don't work in canon. Nope. Right? Like, like they obliterate canon because AVP is uh, contemporary, and mm-hmm. then the conceit of Alien Covenant is that uh, David made them in what twenty one oh five. We're meant to believe that he had that plan like, from the beginning. So, all, all, all the more reason. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. Or that the aliens time traveled? Because like, if that's the first xenomorph in, um, yeah, if, if that's the first xenomorph in Alien Covenant, you can't have AVP stuff because AVP stuff is maybe much more people just put them in the movie because they thought they'd sell more tickets. <laughs> I mean, I definitely think that, but like, do we live you? in a world where canon matters. <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying. Is another is another problem with Prometheus and, and Covenant. They don't address the, AVP the timeline. Yeah. I think they're just like, no, it's not <laughs> exactly Predator. Predator put an alien skull in it. I mean, or and that happened in the far future of like 2012, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of things that happen in the far future, guys, I watched a movie that takes place in 2005, and so did Scott. Oh, yeah. We, we watched, I watched it today. I watched it today, Scott, just so I could be oh. more ready for it. Transformers, the animated series. Oh, Transformers, the movie. The animated film series. Oh, animated it's called movie. The movie. It's called The Movie. Was it Beyond Good? Beyond Good. Colon, the movie. Beyond Evil. Beyond your wildest imagination. Yeah, it's beyond good. It has no <laughs> business being as good as it is. <laughs> Completely to its own detriment. Like that there's no reason that Nelson Shin should have made that movie. Like he, he What else he did Nelson Shin do? Way like off. Uh he was the animation director for like 
120 Simpsons episodes. Cool. He was the director of the original G.I. Joe um, Mass Device series. Yeah, but that's like uh, a classic, to be fair. Yeah, he directed like half the Dungeons pretty and Dragons cartoon stuff. Oh, no. Nelson. Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Most, mostly Simpsons work. That's what he, he did. Like Post, for post years, the years. animated. How did he not parlay Transformers movies into the Simpsons? Like, a bigger the I mean, is... I guess Simpsons is kind of the biggest. I was going to say, I was like, Simpsons is kind of the, big, the biggest yeah. freaking like, animated series of all time. Yeah, so that, had, that was probably some money. Yeah, plus he's 81 years old, so. Well, now he's 81 years old. So I was watching the Transformers movie. I have the 25th anniversary uh, DVD. Right. I don't know which one. Is, you did have. you watch it on VHS? I have yeah. the Rhino. No, I don't have a VCR, but I still have my VHS copy. Ooh. And I realized uh, while watching it that, like, not only um, have we passed the like 30 the 30th anniversary and there's another edition there's a 30th nice. edition we're now at like the 32nd nice scott is scott is showing off yeah i'm pretty sure i've, I've watched that actual nice. tape with you this is, yeah yep this is the one I, that doesn't have the swearing in it yeah the i had the clam i was gonna say i my vhs copy was the clamshell which has the swearing <laughs> the the dvd set that i have is the um the 25th anniversary one which has both versions <laughs> Three like, seconds what? difference. Well, it's actually, but one is uh, one's widescreen, so you also lose you also lose the side of the screen because it's cropped for television, and Spike doesn't swear. And I was like, "Thanks for this DVD. When would I ever want to watch this? Like, I'm gonna no. go and watch a square version of the film with one no. swear word in it." Keith, it was animated in four three ratio. Oh crap! It, it was cut to make it appear widescreen, even in theaters when it was released. Oh, so there's more, technically there's more animation. That might be why it's there, because there's more animation than... The widescreen version. The, 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 the regular 4.3 has more animation. Yeah, yeah, the 16 by 9 theatrical widescreen version, and then the disc 2 is the full screen version. The full screen version is the version that has more animation on it. That's hilarious. And oh, theaters man. would just like lower the curtains to to block it out, make it appear widescreen. Hilarious. Um, so I don't know about the version that you have uh, before we get into it, uh, but the version that I have, and I, so I watched it like a, like an idiot uh, because I watched it. You're never an idiot when you're watching this movie. Keith. And then I realized that there was a, a bonus feature, which and was like a pop-up video, pop video style uh, thing oh. called the Autobots Matrix of Knowledge. And I didn't watch it with the pop-up video. But while I was doing the dishes, I restarted uh, watching it. So I watched like the first uh, like five or six minutes of the film with the pop-up video. And it had um, the, the, the things that stood out was like the first like six or seven pop-up video moments is talking about the fact that there was almost a 20-year or yeah, an 18-year gap between the conception of Unicron <laughs> and him having his own toy. <laughs> <laughs> it was like there was a uh, uh, like a 
uh, what do you call it? A prototype of the toy was built in like 1984. The film only came out in 1986 and he only ever got a toy in 2003. And there was numerous times, and the pop-up video keeps talking about it, numerous times that they kept building prototypes for Unicron and then they were always like, it's too costly, no one will buy this. Yep. And then the, the thing that also stuck out for me is like so the credits are start the film and they're like the the band lion or whatever and then they have little like pop-up video facts about the voice actors like as they appear so they're like Mm -hmm. eric idol appeared in like monty python's uh like flying circus judd nelson appeared in like many 80s movies like noticeably like notably the the breakfast club leonard nimoy is perhaps best known for his portrayal as like as captain uh captain spock um like robert stack was on the untouchables like Lionel Stander uh, was an, a, an American actor like known as Heart to Heart. Orson Welles directed 1941 Citizen Kane. You did do that. Oh, I bet he loved that. <laughs> but I'm just saying, but like the, the list of facts, you're just sort of like all these like TV and like whatever crap. And then you're just sort of like the director of 1941 Citizen Kane. Bang. And I was like, bit of a mic drop on the credits there, Orson Welles. <laughs> like <laughs> everybody else I mean, is... Everybody else's resume and filmography looks like dumb shit because Orson Welles directed 1941's Citizen Kane. I was like dying and I was like, I just want to watch all of the pop-up videos now for this. I mean, imagine what it's like for Orson Welles to have been in the two greatest (laughs) films of all time. (laughs) So far apart from each other, you know, 45 years apart. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, And again, I think there's, I really... Like I guess like, Scott, you're gonna you you watch this several times in the last two weeks, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> I watched it three times. <laughs> There's like the Orson Welles dialogue. I think stands out the most as just amazing. Like it would be it'd be Scott, so easy for him to have, like phone it in and done, like, Jeremy Irons in in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, some Unicron from like Unicron. No, 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 from this other word. <laughs> um, man, I'm on the spot here. I yeah, find your bargaining I'm posture highly dubious. Highly dubious. Yeah. So good. <clears throat> I will give you a new body and new troops to command, and I'm nothing. You belong to me now. <laughs> I belong to nobody. Perhaps I misjudged you. Very well. Proceed on your way Amazing. to oblivion so good also holy crap like the, the stones on mega slash galvatron every time he's like this is this is what's up he just like he he just is immediately ready to screw over unicron every second i'm like dude what is up you're like you're just a guy he resurrected you and all of your friends and gave you an army and all that stuff and then he's like now i have the matrix of leadership i'm gonna screw you over unicron immediately and i was like if anything I admire the stones. Now, my master, with this, I'll make you my slave. Yeah. yeah. Galvatron goes for it every time. He basically <laughs> turns into Starscream. <laughs> exactly. Just, although, and also, how many characters do not notice that there are finger holes on the Matrix of Leadership? It's the greatest sin of Ultra Magnus's entire and, existence. But, and Galvatron. Galvatron closet it like a dumb shit also. Yep. <laughs> so funny god uh, and for some reason that that's what makes hot rod the worthy one he said he could put his fingers in the four holes 
four fingers, spread it open. Ugh. Also, Ultra Magnus, the was it did you that pointed this out to me? Uh, that because I, I was watching for it now on this rewatch that mm-hmm. nobody asks the Junkions to put them back together. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Ultra Magnus. Oh no! And they start putting them back together, and they're all kind of standing there, going, "Huh? Okay, I guess." <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so so back us up, Scott. So this is the first time watching is in uh, you said in five years. Yeah, about five years. And, and you um, said this is the first time you went into it with like a critical eye. So there's a, a few things that like I love this movie. I love this movie. There's a few things that I was looking at and noticing more this time rather than just blissfully experiencing the nostalgia. The mm-hmm. the animation is outrageously overworked. They do so much um, background matte painting that once you notice it, it becomes insanely distracting. (laughs) They change camera angles. I think it's 15 times before the theme song starts, just on that uh, Unicron approaches the planet. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a different matte painting from a different camera angle each time. So they're paying someone to do fully rendered, full-colored paintings to animate stuff on. Like the the scene where Prime and uh, Ironhide are discussing their trip to Earth in order to go get more Energon. Mm-hmm. The camera keeps moving around and keeps moving around on high, full-detailed, fully rendered matte painting backgrounds. Mm-hmm for a non-action scene with yeah, and you're like, exposition dialogue. And you're like, this is a different angle, which means that like you're you're avoiding the, the fun of a matte painting where you could just have like zoom in on a different spot of it with like yep. another person. You're like, no, I need another angle of this computer console. It's 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 insane the the animation direction that would have required that for a movie that was made, you know in order to bridge... Was this done purposefully, or was this done because they didn't know what they were doing and ended up with something amazing? Well, it was... Uh, I think it was Nelson Chin really reaching, just being like, I've, I've, I'm given a feature film here. Hmm. Let's, like, yeah. let's do it. Well, it was the... like I, I was telling this to Scott. I believe it was the highest budget non-Disney animated film at the time. It had a budget of like six... Like five or six million dollars. dollars. Yeah, which is like 1986 money for an animated feature, like, and it was animated in in the United States too. Mm -hmm. They brought animators in from Japan, but it was it was animated in the U.S., so it wasn't just outsourced. Um, that was crazy. It's just crazy to look at, like, the detail they put into, you know, otherwise basically an anime movie. Um. Then to go out and bring in a cast of Hollywood stars, which was not a thing that animated movies did mm. before that. No one, Disney wasn't doing that until Aladdin, which was early 90s. So super weird for them to do that. Disney always used their in-house um, voice talent. At the, the, mm-hmm. the Sunbow people use their voice actors, you know, Chris Latta and, and Peter Cullen and, and the go-to guys. So for them to say like, "Hey, we're going to bring in like Hollywood to do this," very weird. Yeah. So just for they, 
I'm looking at Disney animated films. <clears throat> and if I'm looking at the animated releases, there was The Rescuers, which was 7.5 million, admittedly 1977. Then they didn't have a lot of. How did The uh, Rescuers come to so $7 million? Cauldron. Wow. Animation's expensive, man, when you're doing it all like cell by cell. But, uh, but yeah, then The Black Cauldron famously went over budget. And the, the Black Cauldron apparently cost 25 to $44 million, depending Jesus. on reports. And I like The Black Cauldron a lot. But that's a lot of like a lot of nineteen eighty six eighty five dollars. Yeah, but anyway, but yeah. So, but like, but like nineteen seventy seven rescuer seven point five million. That was Transformers had a similar budget to Disney animated feature, which is still like, and they were the main shop, right? Like that's someone gave Shin a lot of money. <laughs> like, here's here's the thing with that movie. I think that Nelson Shin did the very best movie he could based on the mandate of kill all the toys and make everyone care about the new toys. And it's also balls to the walls action too, though. Like when I think of like, when I know now about animation and the cost of animation, holy crap. It's like, it's 30 minutes before there's like a breath. Like, and it feels like a breath. You're like, like and it goes, it's like, it's, it's Unicron invading that first planet then Megatron attacking the Autobots, then Megatron sure. attacking Autobot City, then like Megatron and Prime. Uh, and Prime having a showdown, and then finally like Prime kind of like dying, and that's like 30 minutes in. But you're like, does not, other than like five seconds of Daniel and Hot Rod fishing, it's like action scene, action scene, action scene with transforming robots and flips, and you're like, holy yeah. crap, like it must have been a nightmare to work on that film. And there's not a lot of animation errors in it compared to the TV show, which you can yeah. find like miscolors and uh, like bad flips or, you know, characters whose eyes and mouths are moving when it's another character delivering the dialogue. Like Transformers, the movie is a pretty tight animated feature. The, the problem is you can't watch it in a void. You have to have watched uh, the show. And the show was geared to six to eight year olds, and the movie is definitely they kill people a lot for that, like a a lot. There's there's war casualties, and then right well, after there's, that, there's, there's I a mean, murder. Before war casualties, there's a genocide. Yes. So before war casualties, they're like they introduce a planet and like and make a point of showing little kids playing. I actually, like, I'm not sure genocide quite covers it and because they kill the planet, right? It's like an ecocide. Yeah, or a holocide. Yeah, I guess, and every, and everybody on it. Yeah. The one thing I will say though, so whatever that planet was, Scott, do you know the name of that planet? I know some of its inhabitants, but I don't know the name of the planet. All I know is what Cranix. Orgulus. Orgulus. Anyway, um, so the, it's it's another robot race, which which is a very weird thing in Transformers, I gotta say, that multiple species are robotic. Right? No, it's not. That's all explained later. The Quintessons were um, seeding the universe. Gross. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that phrasing. With limited success, but that's that's what they were doing. They, they but did they make the Autobots and the Decepticons too? Yeah, yeah, they made Cybertron. Uh, they made the Sharkacons later. Uh, they okay. were always trying and failing. They were basically um, doing what uh, what the the guy did in Alien Covenant. 
Yeah, but he made the xenomorphs. The xenomorphs, but he, <laughs> like, they made... he wins at making things. I don't know. Autobots, Decepticons. That's. I feel like Xenomorph good. has that acid blood that could kind of screw up the Autobots pretty bad. But anyway. Well, so you the you said Sharkicons before? Sure. So, um, uh-huh. I mean, they're in the film. Yeah, you have it. They're in the film. <laughs> imagine a shark. Now imagine it being a robot. Alien, don't beat that. And they switch back and forth. Uh-huh. Fair. But yeah, so, but there's an, still an entire planet. And then, like, so the two things happen. One, someone points up and is like, Unicron! So they own, like they see Unicron in the sky, and someone knows what a Unicron is. And I'm like, hey, mm-hmm. planet, telescope? <laughs> like, how did you only notice Unicron was coming when you saw him with your naked eye from the surface of your planet? <laughs> like, if you know what a Unicron is, maybe have, like, telescopes in all directions in case, like, Unicron is coming. <laughs> Well, they're all robots. Maybe they are telescopes. Well, again, nobody saw Unicron until the, you could see him with the naked eye, and he filled the entire sky of the planet and then ate the planet. I mean, he also moves very fast. He's not like going at Voyager speed, taking you know again, seventeen we... years to get from one end of the solar system to the other. He is booking it. Sure, but we're like we have telescopes that can see other galaxies. Like I feel that like you can't apply rules like that here because we can see other galaxies from millions and billions of years ago, right? If he's traveling faster than the speed of light, which Mm -hmm. would be required if he was traveling across the galaxy at any whatever speed, he's breaking causality, and the rules of physics no longer are meaningful. No. Well, no. It's just any any time you're dealing with space travel, you have to you have to (laughs) either break causality which is what traveling faster than the speed of light does, or mm-hmm. you just say, okay, whatever, magic, it's it's okay. <laughs> so don't worry about that. Yep. But I just thought it was hilarious because, but anyway, but they, they see Unicron dwarf, like dominate the sky of their planet, and then they try to like escape, and then the gravitational pull of Unicron is so much better. everything in. And I was like, all almost, they needed... Almost everything. Yeah. Almost exactly. everything. Yeah, almost everything. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. I was like, they needed like another five minutes and maybe at least some people would be able to escape because we know almost everything because whatever, Craddock's or whatever. He uh, escapes only to land on the He escapes Quintessa. only to land on the Quintesson planet and then get eaten by the shark. Wait, 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 wait. The shark to come like, I'm the last survivor of this planet. Robots. Robot sharks. That's right. No. Need to eat. They eat. Okay. We eat Energon okay. and there's Energon inside of people. So they eat people. Well, oh, Kranix is not an organic person either, and he's also not a Sharkicon. He is a sentient not, being of a different that, race. Are you saying that inorganic people aren't people? I'm just saying that. Just no, no. You're confusing robots with separate races that exist in the Transformers universe. Just because they're all inorganic doesn't mean that they're all robots. No, but they are all robots, but they're different species of robots. It's like exactly. So they're not eating people. They're eating something of a different species, like uh, a hamburger. Uh, oh, what? So you're saying that like if, if a piranha eats me, it didn't eat a person? No, but like if you eat an octopus, you're not Probably like, oh, that's a either. person. But if I ate someone that was like... Right, yeah, I, that's what I'm saying. And that's what we're saying about the Sharktacons. So yeah, the Sharktacons... They're, they're eat... just eating food. Yeah. And then they, they rise up uh, and kill their masters. 
Because yeah. Grimlock is like, yo. Declares himself king. Yeah, and they're like, okay. Uh, <clears throat> what else? What else is uh, captivating you about it? What are, the, what are the flaws of this film, Scott? Well, before I get into the flaws, my other favorite thing is the okay. insane musical score. Not the soundtrack, because the soundtrack is, is, is baller. But the score by Vince DiCola is unnecessarily amazing. He, had he, did he do before or after did he do Rocky? He did one of the Rockies, right? That is amazing. Really? I, did, I don't know that. Whoa. Is this, is this, is this Transformer knowledge? That I have no, it doesn't have to do with Transformers. Yes. Okay. So Rocky he did is the, not in Transformers. Whoa. So he did Transformers the movie, and before that he did Rocky Four. And the before that he Rocky. did Staying Alive. And he did Staying Alive, but then he also did uh, the score for a video game. He took a like twenty year hiatus of notable work. Which game? <laughs> the, those are his filmography credits. Uh, Teenage Mutant wow. Ninja Turtles: Mutants in Manhattan from twenty sixteen. So yeah, Staying Alive, 83, Rocky IV, 85, Transformer the Movie, 86, and he's like, I'm going to take some time off. <laughs> and then didn't do anything until a video game. I'm assuming like he did other work. He's uh, a musician, so. Yeah, exactly. Like he did, um, he, around 1996, Decola, Storming Heaven. Oh man, is he a Christian rock guy? He has like, he's been in bands called The Tower of Power and Storming Heaven. Oh, man. Man, in, in 2012, he recorded the official theme for Chikara's King of Trios event. Nice! <laughs> that's a, that's a, a weird wrestling promotion. King Sorry. of Trios is a cool, is a cool show. Damn. That's, yeah, that's awesome. Yo, did you know that he won a Golden Raspberry for the Rocky Four soundtrack? I kind of don't remember if the music was that bad. I don't think there was other problems. I, was like, I don't think I don't think that uh, exactly. I, mean, I, was, I don't think the music was the, was wrong with that. He was he was also nominated for a Grammy for this, his work on Staying Alive. So, you know, is he involved at all in the in the other stuff, like in the other soundtrack and whatever? Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, he he wrote the touch and dare. Wow. Also, or, so yeah, he wrote them and then. Stan Bush performed them, which is amazing because I don't I don't really know what Stan Bush did other than that. But the touch and dare, like they were both like maybe because it was because it was Decola, when they were like this is musical gold because the movie uses them twice, both of them, <laughs> yep. both of the songs play at two different moments in the film. Dare plays with uh, Hot Rod going up to Lookout Mountain. Yep. And then you got the touch is when uh, Optimus shows up at Autobot City. Yep. And then Dare plays again when they crash in through uh, Unicron's eyeball when they're attacking him. Yeah. And then, and then the, the touch, touch plays again when uh, open, when Rodimus opens up the uh, the Matrix of Leadership. Yep. Yeah, but I was just sort of like these songs are so great. <laughs> Put them in the movie twice. I think the biggest thing wrong with Transformers the movie is that it came out in 1986. If it had come out in 1995 and the fan base had actually aged up a bit, mm-hmm. it would have killed the box office. It would have destroyed. It would have made like such an like impact. so if it had, if it had done like Star Wars episode 1. 
Yeah. Right. Like a good, like, like 15, 20 years between the thing that we loved from kids and then like, they it's would all like, grown up now. It's, it's Instead, all grown up. You had and crying was, little I kids. Mean, so now. <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly what happened. It is a movie that was not made for six to eight year olds and has, uh, Death, Do you know where that came from? And an execution. Like, like, is there like a post mortem to this thing that explained it? There was a directive to remove <laughs> the old characters and introduce new ones in order to sell more toys. Like, just straight up. Yep. At the end of this movie, these characters should be gone, and these characters should be the ones that will be driving sales forward for the, for the the future. It's so I did. super weird. Again, I, that directive was wrong. Given that directive, Nelson Shin hmm. did the best thing he could with it. So just uh, uh, to, to, to go into the film that never was, uh, I was like, but what would the rock soundtrack of 1995 sound like? And the top four rock songs of 1995 were Lightning Crashes. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Better Man by Pearl Jam, When I Come Around by Green Day, and Wonderwall. If Green Day did the Transformers theme song instead of Lion, it would have been amazing. <laughs> would have been perfect. Transformers! <laughs> like Billy Joel just yep. not, not enunciating anything. <laughs> yep. Robots in the sky! Did you say robots in the sky? Mm, I don't know what you said there, Billy Joel. Yeah. Uh, what else oh, is wrong with this film other than the fact... So, so far you were like, it, it's the perfect film. It only didn't come out at the right time. <laughs> Critical eye, yeah. Scott. Critical eye. Undo, undo your childhood. All right. So the critical eye is it expected you to fall in love with the new characters and you without Hot reason. Hot Rod is amazing. Hot Rod is not amazing. Ultramagnet. He's a big dummy. Ultra Magnus is completely unlikable, and he's supposed to be accepted as Prime's trusted best friend. He's he's awful. He's awful like as, he, as a flat character, but then also as like at any moment in time, the film is like he's garbage at leading. He's always like, I can't deal with this right now, and he's just sort of like, I don't know. Leave them on the freaking moon. I don't care. Like yep. he's. It's they lean so hard into the fact that like Hot Rod is obviously going to be like that. There's a better leader in the ranks that they make him seem like like he's an idiot and Optimus Prime is an idiot for even liking this guy. It's like Hot Rod is obviously the Luke Skywalker character. Yeah, but instead of Obi Wan Kenobi, they made Ultra Magnus kind <laughs> of like a drunk Homer Simpson. Yeah, but how Cup was Obi Wan Kenobi? Cup is is. No, he's like, Cup doesn't do anything. But, like, the leadership, everyone looks to Magnus, and he just kind of does drunk shutdowns. He's like, I don't know what to do. I'm, why Why am I in charge? And it, he's in charge because Prime said, like, you're my trusted friend. You're my number one general. Mm-hmm. This, the, the Matrix goes to you. Like, you're the chosen one. Yeah. And, and it's never he, accomplished he, anything. Also, I feel that, like, like the <laughs> where, where even as a child... Uh, he just thought that like getting jumped by Galvatron was the darkest hour. And I was like, this isn't the darkest hour. It's your <laughs> darkest hour. I was like, this is just some bad luck for you right now. Yeah. 
this is not the darkest hour of humanity like, and existence. That, that's his first battle as leader, which you have to remember. All of the battles that Prime had had before that never ever went to the matrix of leadership to, to solve the problems. Yeah. Well, but also when they're like, oh, yeah, Bumblebee and, uh, and Spike are on that moon base or whatever. And he's like, I can't think about that. Yeah, let them let them die. They're gonna get good. You. Good luck. And I'm, you're like, whoa. You're like, you're not prime. Also, well, I something I realized just because I watched it, I watched the first ten minutes back to back, just as a really dark <laughs> moment for it. When Spike goes to Ironhide, and he's like, "Tell my son I'm on my way home," and Ironhide is like, "I'll do that." I'm like, "No, you won't. You're about to get murdered." Like yep. I'm like, you wrote the. The authors of the film wrote a line of dialogue to be like a father being like, tell my son I'll be home soon. And they tell, knew. Tell my son Daniel I miss him. I'll be yeah, home Yeah, tell my son Daniel I miss him. I'll be home soon. And Ironhide's like, you got it, Spike. And I'm like, no, you're not going to get to tell him that, Ironhide. You're going to be murdered on screen in 30 seconds. Daniel will never get that message. Like, so- why did you write that scenario into a children's film? All of that is 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 like weird and dark. The execution of uh, Starscream is even beyond that. It's so tonally out there that looking it at plays it, right after, it plays right after a comedy angle too, right? Yep. It's like so there, there's like the horn players who are like burr, 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 and like doing the coronation for Starscream, and it's going on too long for his liking because he yeah. wants to be crowned, you know, leader of the Decepticons. So he shoots off their, their bugles and then he gets the crown and he says, as your new leader, and then Galvatron shows up with his new his new troops. Galvatron shows up flying a fighter jet that is also a robot. So what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's be fair here. Megatron had often just attached himself to the bottom of a fighter jet as a gun before. So. And he also let people hold him and pull his trigger. <laughs> sometimes he would float in the air and just fire on his own but you there like, no, cradled me shoot me <laughs> don't forget to turn the safety off <sighs> uh, and then he doesn't just shoot Starscream like he shoots him and atomizes him and then yeah, the audience is made, is made to watch him his body crumble into ashes mm-hmm. like it's pretty terrifying. That is a that is a disturbing scene. Again, not ten minutes after having watched Prime die on the operating table. Yeah, like, die on camera. It's that's a weird choice to like, not just shoot him, not just kill him, but like disintegrate him. And again, and again, slowly Starscream and viciously. Was was a villain, but was in like every episode of the show. So just like. Know. Like it would be like you're just like you're watching Ninja Turtles and then like they just drop Baxter Stockman into a vat of acid and you watch him dissolve and you're like, why? Screaming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why did that happen, Ninja Turtles? He's been in the are like, I don't know. <laughs> I <can't> explain it. <laughs> but I mean, at least with Eastman and Laird, you'd be like, their well, stuff was pretty dark, wasn't it? From them. They don't they don't know. <laughs> Yeah, they don't know what's going yeah, on. Yeah. But it'd be like that in the cartoon. Like that's the weird part. You're like, what? Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, they they really just overestimate their ability to put the new characters on. Like RC and Springer, 
have okay banter, but for them to be like the new besties, um, it doesn't work. The only one I think that really, really succeeds is is Cup, mm-hmm. and Cup really, really succeeds is because they put him in scenes with the Dinobots, and it's hysterical. Also, he's basically DeForest Kelly. Yeah, but he, as, he also, as a child, as a child, I just thought it was like I thought he was Bones from Star Trek. Like that was like I thought that that was the voice actor and that was Cup. My, my, my mind, I was like, that's the, like it was literally like later into teenage years when like Mark and I got back into the Transformers and started watching them in high school. That I was like, wait, that's not Bones. Like it was just <laughs> as a child, I was like, that's clearly the same thing. Maybe because of the Leonard Nimoy crossover, it just made sense, right? Like, my my favorite thing in the whole movie, like it's such a little niche thing, is Cup and Grimlock doing an of mice and men joke. Kills yep. me every single time I watch it. I don't know how that slipped through the script. I don't know why someone thought it was a good idea to do it. But they did it and I love it so much. Just Grimlock being stupid and Cup's telling war stories. And he's talking about the Petro Rabbits, and Grimlock looks at him and goes, Tell Grimlock about the Petro Rabbits. It it's so weird that it's in this movie. It's it's everything about this movie tied into into one line of dialogue. I can I think I can beat that with um Oh no, I guess I guess that's true. The it is it is the radio tell. So this is digging deep into Keith's childhood, and I, I just looked it up, and I was like to see if it was another thing. When um, when Jazz is like, Roger me, Wilco me, I don't care. Hello, hello, Earth. Yeah. That's not so, Jazz. It's, um... Perceptor? No. No. Blaster. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. So, Wilco is will comply, and Roger is is whatever. But... Now, this is digging deep, John. What else is Roger Wilco? And I got this as a kid, and now I guess it was probably uh, it was probably a pay payoff on the Roger Wilco is procedure words, which is received and will comply. But as Space a child, Quest, I thought Roger the, uh, Wilco was a reference to something else. Uh-huh. That's right. That's right. So when I like when I heard Roger me Wilco me, I was like, Roger Wilco is I did that Quest. too. And it was around exactly the yep. same time period. Yep. But now looking at it, that apparently Roger Wilco means received and will comply, which I feel yeah. it's probably that joke and not a Space Quest reference. It's probably the same joke made twice. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's it. God, that, that is... That They're is both the in worst... 1986. Weird. So, so that is the worst piece of, of uh, animation directing in the movie. Is Roger me, Wilco me? That scene. Uh, Perceptor and Blaster are trying to reach... Um, the moon bases in order mm-hmm. to get support as they're being overrun. And Megatron orders uh, Soundwave to jam their transmission. Mm-hmm. So Soundwave sends off four cassettes. Yep. Uh, Rumble Frenzy, Ravage, Ratbat to block the transmission and, and mess things up. Mm-hmm. So they smash through the, the communications dome. Blaster and Perceptor fight them off a little bit. And then Blaster ejects four cassettes to fight off Soundwave. I don't know if this is what you're about to talk about, but I, if not, I'm those, laughing. Those four cassettes, those eight cassettes, now engage in a in a Donnybrook, and Blaster and Perceptor <laughs> stand there and watch, He's like, and have a, you see, have a little quiet moment. But it's hilarious because in that specific frame, you see like because Blaster is engaged for a second, 
with the yeah, he does like a roundhouse kick and yeah, like he like he like he kicks Rumble or whatever or Frenzy or something like like off the screen or whatever, and then you see um what if one of Blaster's little uh, little dudes comes and like walks across the screen and like shoots Ravage in the face and then kind of like walks off the right of the screen and then you see Blaster just kind of stands up and then Perceptor just walks up next to him and they're just sort of like man this is crazy <laughs> <I can't believe laughs> and they're just like we're just chilling. <laughs> When they could like, go over, little guys like fight. Whoa, it's nuts! I was, I was like, you could still be helping. They're like arguably your allies. Like you could be a six on four right now, and you're twice as big as the four little guys. But you're like, nah, watch these cassettes fight. And and they've already established that this is the stakes are high. They're like, dying. The like movie, their friends have died. Their friends have died. Ironhide and Ratchet and Brawn have have been killed, and their city is see- under siege. And and then during the siege, you see um, gears and wheeljack. Also, you see their corpses dragged yeah. across screen. Like those two guys just standing around chatting, going, "Man, they're just like, man, I hope hope help gets here. Should we do anything about this, man?" Oh. <sighs> that that that's a terrible part of uh, of direction that happens there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I also think the dance number is a little weird. Like once they, they all reunite with the junkions and then they, they all ultra Magnus turns out he's okay. Yeah, exactly. They put together ultra Magnus and then they literally get into a circle dance and wheelie and Daniel just start break dancing. And I'm like, you're still, you need to save the planet. Maybe less of a party. Like it's literally a full party sequence. It just goes on. And I was like, this is like, like, it plays like the like the the finale there in Return of the Jedi, but you're like, yeah. but it's not over. Unicron's over there, like he's right, he's like almost in view, and you're just sort of like, wee, let's like dance in a circle and break dance. And I was like, what are you celebrating? <laughs> that Ultra Magnus got put back together? Who cares? That they lost the Matrix of Leadership. That... Yeah, that the all hope is lost. Um, Scott, do you want to rank this? It's a tough one. one. I feel you're you're shooting high on it. All right, I'm looking at. Let's see what we got animated here. I so the highest animated film we have. Oh, hang on. This was also in the pop up videos, and maybe will inform your decision on ranking. It opened the same day as Stand by Me. <laughs> <laughs> so, as a point of reference, Man, just on really Friday, August eighth, nineteen eighty six. Two films came into theaters to really mess with your childhood and stand by me. You thought that they were both kids' movies. No, (laughs) there'll be weird things in both of them that will traumatize you. (laughs) All right, so the highest rated animated movie we have right now is at 39 with Song of the Sea. Okay, and it's it's better than Song of the Sea. No, uh, Spider Man into the Spider Verse is 32. No, it's not as good as Spider Man into the Spider Verse. (laughs) I'm not gonna rock that I, I love this movie I, I love this movie much more than I love Into the Spider-Verse but I think it's, 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 that, that, it's not as good it is in the right zone right because right above Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is The Mummy which, which I, feel, I also love which yeah. I feel is also in like similar headspace for you and right underneath it is Big Trouble in Little China which is, hmm. is also very comparable yeah. to Transformers the movie um, so I, this might be the right zone. <laughs> that might be the right spot. I, I, if I have my druthers about it, I would put it right under Spider-Man. 
Right above Big Trouble. Is there anything that I would get mad that it passed? I, I, I would I would even like personally, having just watched it, I would see it maybe going up to like my ceiling is above the mummy. Like I would see it kind of gaining a spot or two. Just like because like the soundtrack alone just had me like just pumped. I was working out and watching Transformers the movie you guys, oh, and I was just like dan, 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 you, you gotta dan, you guys are letting the nostalgia win this battle or put or like blow these sales. <laughs> are you when, are you saying that are you saying that the nostalgia factor did not uh, or, play anything into yeah, the mummy the number twenty two film but, of all time? <laughs> and I mean I like that's okay. I don't know, barbarian that's at okay. But just you know It's a very good well, animated like it's it, to me it's a very good animated feature. I and and I not being which, Scott would push it into somewhere in the forties and nostalgia for me would right. crank it into that area. Like just like soundtrack nostalgia, whatever. I'm and I'm like a, no bones about it being nostalgia points. <laughs> like I mean it's nostalgia when it came out. Like that's what it was. It was like, hey, we we did two seasons of cartoons mm-hmm. and we're gonna mess with your feelings about that right now like nostalgia is the reason it was made yeah it's it's up there with probably uh, it's in scott how many times have you seen this film over 200 like i I stopped counting at 200 but it's 215 220 yeah like i nowhere near that but like still a movie that i've seen like 30 or 40 times like i remember we had um memories of transformers the movie we had it on vhs and not like we owned it on VHS. It's we taped nice. the television broadcast of it. So it had it had commercials, but only like the first little bits of commercials because we were recording it live. So we would pause the mm-hmm. recording. <laughs> like so, the my, my VHS copy was the copy that my local video store had, mm-hmm. and I had rented it so many times that the guy was like, "You can have it for ten dollars." <laughs> it's warped. <laughs> He's like, you're the only person who rents it. Like, no one else does. You, you're like, you're point, just you're just saving me putting it away every yeah. time. But yet, the other thing too is, and the and the reason I mentioned that it was recorded is that I don't know, like if there was the first showing of it, maybe ever on television, or like if it was like timed up with that, or if it was like a, a subsequent rebroadcast. But whatever it was, the game Crossfire paid heavily to be featured in the commercials for Transformers the movie. So like my memories of Transformers the movie is overlapped directly with like the first five to ten <laughs> seconds of the commercial for the game Crossfire. Which it was a game where you little you had, discs or uh, something a little gun that shot like yeah. a little bit with ball bearings back and forth and you're trying to score on the other guy and you're simultaneously trying to like score on the discs and there's other little like spinning targets or whatever. And God and, damn it. I, I never got that, that game. game. <laughs> and I never, I've never had it. Never got that game and never played that game. I never even played a single <laughs> round of crossfire in my life, but because it was like that commercial, like was the often the lead out and the lead in to transformers, the movie, I would see snippets of that commercial like a hundred times. Because I would watch Transformers. Are we going to screw up the sound file? It's going over an hour. Okay. Uh, No, the sound file should be fine as long as it doesn't crash. We should should rank this and then wrap it up, though. 
Yeah. How did you uh, say I, I don't want to put it ahead of the mummy just because of looking at the quote for the mummy. Every character is perfect. Yeah. And we just discussed that every character is not perfect. Not perfect. Yeah. Ultra Magnus is a big dumb. And and the weird emphasis they put on new characters over the old yeah. is flawed. Sure. But I, I think right above Big Trouble in Little China, right under Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. I think that's okay. It's, it's great. I fucking love this movie. <laughs> yeah, that's where I want to put it. Uh, I ain't going to fight fair. this one. Uh, uh, John, any... Um... I, I might drop it a couple of points, but I don't think that, like... <laughs> I haven't seen it in many, many years, you know? Well, like, do you think it's so much... You think Guardians of the Galaxy oh, just Big Trouble in Little China. is the one that's going to push it down, or... Yeah. But they're so comparable, though. Like, who are your two favorite characters uh, in Big Trouble in Little Grandpa China? Grandpa and um, Kurt Russell. Sure. That's, that's Jack Burton no idea and, um, <laughs> Grandpa. And Grandpa. <laughs> yeah. It's not Lopan, okay? Uh, it is not Lopan. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's a, a very good spot for for Transformers movie, and like and like absolutely yeah, 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 high on the list points, like without a doubt. Uh, but also, that's what Transformers was there for. It, it wasn't some weird cult movie that nobody else made, and they thought it was going to be great. Like and it was plastic. made to sell nostalgia yeah. right away. And toys. And plastic. Uh, is there any other any other housekeeping? Did you guys nope. think about the next movie? No, it's me. For is it me? Am I not? No, John is up next. Oh man, we talked about it at the beginning, Scott. You weren't there, but I really do. I just want to pull the trigger on it, Scott. How invested are you in, in coming up with a really good movie? Uh, send me. A text this message, right? Magic now. content. This isn't even a surprise to John. This isn't even a surprise to John because oh, no. we talked about it before recording. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> Hang on. Scott, text, text message is incoming. <laughs> so for some reason... So we were talking oh. about... Um, we were talking about uh, experience points and stuff like that in a, in a role-playing game. And mm-hmm. I referenced the fact that in No Roads, I was like, if you really want an item for your character, you can spend XP on it. And it's because I was like, money is kind of uh, complicated. We're playing a post-apocalyptic role-playing game. If there's something you really want, it would be more like experience of you scavenged the right things, made the right connections, and, and traded for it. And I was kind of like, Wayne's World. And it becomes more powerful when he gets the guitar because you know that at a previous level, he wanted the guitar. So you can right. kind of have this. And then John uh, said, yeah, but then he became a, uh, a love guru. And I was like, that did not happen to Wayne Campbell. <laughs> that happened to Mike Myers. And then John was like, I've never seen it, but apparently it's in a trust. Yeah. So. Uh, oh, yeah. Right. I'm interested to hear about this. All right. <laughs> uh, I <laughs> wish I hadn't said anything. For John's consideration of the best movie of all time. <laughs> you did it to yourself, man. <laughs> Is uh, the the film that uh, caused Mike Myers to retire from making films? <laughs> he was just like, "No, I'm not going to be in movies anymore." I made the Love Guru. Is uh, it's a hockey movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Great. Great. Oh man, 
So yeah. John, get ready to yep. uh, talk about the Love Guru in the next episode. God, it also killed the director's career as a director. Oh, wow. I, I'm nervous about losing these recordings, so that was the 90s, everybody. John, Thanks for sticking around to the very end of this show. That means you're our number one fan. As our number one fan, maybe you're wondering a way that you can show your support for this. We've set up a few ways, and the boys are going to tell you about it now. If you like this show, you might know other people that like this show, or maybe they'll like some of the other stuff that we're doing on the website. If that's the case, you can tell them all about it using all of the social networks, like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're on all of those. Or you could just you know, send people links directly to the website. Or if you live in a world without the internet and you only listen to podcasts, you can tell people about it with your human mouth. There's other ways we could support us, John. If your interest in supporting us extends to the financial section, you might consider patreon.com slash 9to5cc. If you go there, you can get perks like early content, you can get your questions answered on the air, and you could get extra art. We've been doing this show for a long time, so we kind of know what we're doing. Not really. <laughs> 9to5.cc. Podcasts, blogs, and comics. Made in Montreal since 2011.